Father, thank you for this time. Speak to us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to have you here. Glad you're here to worship with us. And uh, we're in Exodus 16 today. We'll be at the end of 15, chapter 16. We've been through going through a study in the book of Exodus. And uh, today the title is Whining, Complaining, and Constructive Assistance. Which one are you? And I, I'm going to give you a few tests so that you can know who you are. You know, the Bible talks about, matter of fact, in Numbers chapter 11, uh, there's two names. One, they call them the mixed multitudes, but the other big one is the rabble, the rabble. They're the ones that are always, Moses, why'd you bring us out here? Matter of fact, it was Cecil D. DeMille, uh, many of y'all remember that. It's always, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to start? Moses, we're going to die. Moses, we're tired of bread. Moses, we want something new. Moses, when we're going to get there? Kind of like your seven-year-old sounds in the car when you're on a long trip. And so they're called the rabble. They're not really there because they share the vision. They share the passion. They're there because they're part of the crowd. They didn't like where they were, and they kind of joined the crowd and thought, well, maybe this is a good thing for me. Matter of fact, this is all about me. I, I occasionally, believe it or not, I experience that from people who come to our church. Unbelievable. That's right. Unbelievably. I, I, I love this one letter. I've got several I could share with you. I remember this guy not real long ago uh, came business, and he wrote me a letter or sent me an email, and he said, I would like to lodge some complaints about my church experience. So the first one was, when I pulled up, there were no first-time visitor parking spaces available for me. Don't you hate it when somebody else takes your first-time visitor? Because you know, there's another first-time visitor, so they parked in that spot. Thank you for coming late. Number two, when I came in, yeah, when you're late, please don't complain. You just look silly, all right? Number two, when he came in, he said, nobody opened the door for me and greeted me. Again, this gentleman came in late. Number three, I, when I went over to get coffee, you didn't have any equal, and I like equal in my coffee. I'm thinking, are you really writing a pastor? Of this? I mean, at this point, I'm thinking, I'm sure you were not happy at your last church or the next church that you will be going to. I'm sure you're not happy at any of those churches. And then the last one was, and I'm sure no one will contact me regarding my email. So I called him and went and listened to him. I, I, I probably wouldn't do it again, but I called him. And, and went and listened to him. He was a whiner. He was whining about his church, that church he'd been in. He whined about the church he'd been before. And, and I was thinking, and I said, you know, chances are you might whine about us. Matter of fact, you haven't even got here yet and you're already whining about us. Here's the question. Are you a whiner or are you a follower of Christ? Are you a whiner or do you exercise discernment and wisdom? Are you a whiner or are you mature? Because here's what it is. Whiner equals immature and people who want to be a part of a solution equal mature. So real quick test here to see if you're a whiner or, uh, or are you wise? Do you exercise wise discernment? So here's the way it works. If I'm wise, if I exercise wisdom, I take responsibility. If I'm a whiner, I play the victim. Godly wisdom finds a way, whining finds an excuse. Godly wisdom listens more than it talks, and whining always talks more than it listens. Mature wisdom builds relationships, whining destroys relationships. Wisdom thinks kingdom first, 
Godly wisdom always thinks, what's best for the kingdom? Whining always thinks, me first. What about me? We're going to see right here, um, as we go through this text here in a moment, uh, we're going to see the children of Israel, first they complain about thirst, which I can understand, uh, but they have just seen ten pretty big plagues. They have just come through the Red Sea. It appears that God's on their side. Number two, they're going to complain about being hungry. Number three, they're going to complain about the leadership. And then uh, in Numbers 11, they're going to complain about the type of food. You got, uh, we got food now, but now we want, we'd like something different. Thank you very much. You're in the desert. Boy, I'm, I, I would think you'd be pretty excited about whatever you're getting. If you have your Bible, turn with me, and let's look at Exodus, beginning in chapter 15, the 24th verse is where we'll start. Again, you know the scenario. They've just come through the Red Sea. God has delivered them. God has been abundantly gracious to him, and they are grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And you know what I see here in this text that just amazed me? God does not do a lot of chastisement. He listens, he responds, he listens, he responds. And you see that through the book of Exodus, but it, what you see is God starts to have to respond in a manner that they didn't like. And God even tells them right here, we'll see in chapter 15, I'm doing this as a test. I'm doing this to see if you'll trust me. I'm growing you. He continues here, and he says, And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for him a statue and a rule. That There he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and get ear to the commandments and to all his statues, I will put none of these diseases upon you I put on the, on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So God has provided the water for them. And then they set out from Elam, all the congregation of the people of Israel, and came to the wilderness of Sin. I always thought that was an interesting wilderness, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Grumbled. You know people who grumble? I mean, that's like the worst, you know. There's people who say it, there's people who don't say it, and there's people who just grumble all the time. And God has some pretty strong things to say about that, by the way. Nevertheless, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Why, what, that we had died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to our full, and for you have brought us out in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hungry. <clears throat> Man, if we were just in Egypt, we would have meat pots and meat pots. You know what meat pots were? They're these huge pots. And, and many, you know, let's say we, we were having a big, a big dinner. We were going to try to feed everybody. And we just put some vegetables and whatever we could find in there, and we just serve it to you. And everybody gets one scoop. Everybody gets one scoop of, of uh, it could be soup, it could be whatever. And that's what they're talking about, the meat pots. I promise you, it was not high quality. <laughs> Okay, this is not gumbo from South Louisiana. This is like whatever the Egyptians have thrown together that day, all right? And so they're basically getting soup. They're in a soup they've been in a soup kitchen. They're going, oh, that we could go back to Egypt. Oh, that we could go back to slavery. Oh, that we could go back where there was always a meat pot and there was some bread <clears throat> instead of coming out here and starving. And then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may take them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they are prepared, they will bring in twice as much as they gathered. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people that evening, you're going to 
you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Literally, the Hebrew can be interpreted the presence of the Lord because he heard your grumbling. Uh, who did he say it was against? Against the Lord. You're not just grumbling against Moses and Aaron. You're grumbling against me. And you don't believe by your grumbling you're showing a lack of faith, a lack of gratefulness. For what, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you the evening meat to eat and morning bread to full, the Lord has heard your grumbling and that your grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, say the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling, your complaining. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory and the presence of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, remember what twilight is? Twilight's the end of the day. It's when Jesus was crucified. At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. If you flipped over to, you don't have to, but Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 and 6 is really uh, almost the same situation. And now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. That's where it always comes from, a strong craving. To be right, to be noticed, uh, to get what you want. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember, we had fish when we, were, when we ate in Egypt, and nothing cost. And there were no cost. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing to look at but this manna. What is it? Bread with coriander seed. It tastes like honey, and I'm tired of it. But I think I'd like to go back to Egypt. I think I'd like to go back. I think I'll just complain. The truth of it is I really don't want to go to Egypt. <clears throat> I don't really want to be here. I just want my life to be like I want. I want to be, at a, I want to be in the promised land. I want things to be easy, and I want you to give me. And I remember this is about me. And what is God doing? He's taking a whole people group, and he's creating them to be the light of the world. They are to be what we would call the Christians today. They are to be the light to the lost world, to the pagan, uh, pagan nations and they're going to see, those nations will see how God provided for them, how he gave them water to drink, food to eat, how he provided for their clothes to not wear out, how he's completely provided for them. And they'll see that there's something different about that. But you know what happens when we complain, when we whine, when we're negative? It's like we erase that testimony. And so right now, the mixed multitudes, there are groups, there are Egyptians probably, we know there are different national groups that have come, and they're hearing complaining. And they're hearing the rabble. <clears throat> can I tell you the most unattractive thing that you can do is when you start complaining and people know, you know what, this is about him. This is about her. It's like the most unattractive thing you can do, even if you're a believer or not believer. And as a believer, it's just horrifying. Sometimes I wish we could tape ourselves and go back and watch it and we go. And if you don't do that, then you're immature, by the way. The truth of it is we all complain. And it's one thing to complain <clears throat> about something that we can legitimately, uh, we need to complain about. You know, maybe you, you complain because you get your food and there's a bug in it. That's, that's, that's a good thing to complain about. Say, hey, I, I got this bug in my food. If you don't mind switching it out, that would be really good. And if there's any way we can make sure that doesn't happen again. Okay. So there's some things we can, <clears throat> we should say something about. So complaining is not always bad, but whining is always bad. 
Whining's always wrong. So what's the difference? Well, let's talk about that for just a second here. Whining. Here's how you can know as a follower of Christ if you're a whiner, if you're whining, or if you're simply giving constructive assistance. I say constructive assistance as opposed to constructive criticism because sometimes people think they're, I am being constructive, trying to help you. There's a big difference. <clears throat> constructive assistance. First of all, whining <clears throat> never prays first. When you go and you're going to complain about something, the, question, the first question, all right, I, I need to stop and pray. You, I got something to say. You're always in the wrong spirit. You're always in the wrong attitude. Stop, think, pray. Pray, and people, uh, people are constructively helping. They'll always pray and ask for wisdom as even how should I say that? How should I approach this? Number two, whining pro- promotes me-focused complaining. That's what the children of Israel are doing here. What about me? What about me? We talked about how unattractive that is. Where if it's constructive assistance, we go, you know, I don't know if this is best for the kingdom. I don't know if this is best for the church. I don't know if this is best for the people. Number three, whining attacks the person of the system. Constructive assistance seeks to identify what's the real issue here. What's the real problem? Whining does not offer acceptable solutions. I'm just going to complain. Get my sugar. Get that parking space open for me. Doggone it. Somebody be there to open the door, even if I am 20 minutes late. Somebody ought to open the door for me. You know what? I went to the movies the other day, and nobody opened the door for me. They didn't have a first-time visitor parking spot for me, and they didn't even have coffee for me. Matter of fact, they had like $9 Cokes. <laughs> but you and I didn't go and claim and say, I'm not doing this anymore. You, you know, somebody, did, somebody at least needs to open the door and get me a cup of coffee. No, we'll keep going back. But when we come into God's house so many times, we think, okay, what you going to do for me? Instead of turning the shoe around, what, God, what can I do for you? That's what worship is. Not what God can do for you, but when you worship, it's you expressing glory to him. Next, whining does not offer acceptable solution, but constructive assistance says, all right, let's develop a possible solution here. Let's talk about what could happen. And lastly, and this is my favorite one, whining does not want to be a part of the solution. You know what I find is most of the people that complain, they don't want to be a part of the solution. And if you don't want to be a part of a solution, that means you're a whiner. It is. Here's what I usually say, and people quit asking me a lot now, but I used to say, you know what, we need to do this, this, and that. I guess that's great. Why don't you go do that? Well, I don't mean me. I mean you. I mean, we first started the church. I remember uh, somebody, we, we did these little surveys, and we surveyed out, what do you think the church most needs to do? What do you think somebody put on there? You need to do, uh, you need to do a uh, Sunday night service. That's what you need to do. So um, we had like four or five people, and so I contacted them. I said, so Sunday night service, if we started that in a few weeks, we just want to make sure you're committed. You know, not a one of those people put that they were going to be a part. They just think that I should, we should be doing it. We're not coming, but you should. <laughs> That's called whining. Never suggest something you wouldn't be willing to be a part of the solution. Or you, or you just classified yourself as a whiner. So how do we handle complaints? How do we handle whining? First of all, we listen and empathize. Number two, we clarify. Let me make sure I understand. You're mad because nobody opened the door for you. You're mad because we don't have your type of sugar. And sometimes when you start repeating that, they go, yeah, that does. If they're mature at all, they go, that does kind of sound. That doesn't sound right. That's not what I mean. Okay. Number three, evaluate it. Communicate your position. Hey, this is where we are. Uh, This is the way we handle things. This is where we are. open to improve 
we will certainly would like to improve. And when you recognize, you know what, you can't help this situation, you throw it away. Because they're always going to be the rabble. Those who are saying, I want to go back to Egypt. Those who are saying, is this all I get? There's always going to be a rabble. And the rabble we need to be most concerned about is a rabble in our own hearts. All of us have a tendency to rabble, don't we? We all have a tendency to groan and to moan. And the reason is, is because of our sin problem. Because that's what sin does. Here, you know what? When people come into this church and they come into the body of Christ and they see people loving, caring, assisting, serving, it's like it's a magnet. It's how the Holy Spirit works through us. But when they get around people and they go, yeah, that thing was too long. I hate it because, you know, there's people around here like they use their iPad and some of their Bible. Some of the clothes those people wear and the song selection don't even get me started. And sometimes people overhear you say that. You know what Satan's going? Hey, I come to kill, steal, and destroy. And my brothers just brought it here into the sanctuary. And Jesus said, I came to not have life and have it abundantly. To share the joy of the Lord. Hey, I want to invite my brothers in Christ, the men of Nehemiah, to come up and share with you. The truth of it is, a lot of them could whine about a lot of things. I don't know. Maybe... I don't know, Carlos, maybe you've even heard that before. I don't know. Never have, never had. So this will be a great example of, of how you should be as how you should not be. But uh, these are men who uh, many of them are in the right rehab process. Some of them have been through it. And, uh, you know, they've been at the bottom, and God has turned their life around, and they're in the process on the journey. And instead of going out and saying, you know what, this is somebody else's fault. I, don't, I can't do it. God hadn't, God hadn't done what I wanted him to do. They decided to enter a program uh, where they get up 5.30 every morning. Is that right? And uh, they serve. They pee, do pee. 5 o'clock. I'm sorry. That's Colonel Lewis that gets up at 5.30. Everybody else gets up at 5. So these guys are for real. God is working in their lives. Many of you, uh, Colonel Lewis, what do we got? We've got 15, 16, 17 men now. They're working for guys in our church now. Is that about right? Yeah. Some of you, we've got one of our dentists that's been doing dental care. So thank you guys for what you're doing. You're making a difference. I want you to see the testimony when God enters in with a life that's been in Egypt and is on their way out and how God can work in and through. Colonel Lewis, if you'd come on up. God bless you. Ah. Oh. How y'all doing, Rockport? Man, let's get up here, man. Let's, let's, uh, thank you so much. Good morning. How y'all doing, Rockport? That was weak. That was really weak. You know what, uh, I, I don't know, Pastor, I, you know what I want to say um, before we start? Um, I want to piggyback. I, I want you to know that I'm so grateful, uh, Rock Point, for your witness, for your leadership, and what God is doing here. It, it, uh, it's amazing. Today we're going to um, get my guys lined up. We're just going to worship with you guys I want to say a few words before we get started. We're going to have some testimony. And, and what I would love, if you guys just touched and agreed, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. We come together, and what we do together is this is symbolic of worship. If worship is how I live, we come together, we touch and agree. The body of Christ is to touch and agree. And we've been saying 
said, we've been going a lot of places, Pastor, and what happens is that Satan attacks the unity. You talked about complaining. He's an accuser. He attacks us. We're believers, but he attacks our unity. I like to use, um, I love to use Brandon. I told him I was going to get him. And so the first time we came, he runs up to the bus. He starts saying, you do this and you do that. Who is this little white boy? And I knew knew better. I just did what he told me to do. And over time, I hope he's in here. Over time, it made the experience so much easier. So Peter said, submit, submit. You're not going to hear God outside of the body and outside of submitting. And he makes this long, uh, uh, long point. Peter makes this long point, and then he starts talks about people that want leadership and the qualifications. And then he goes through that, and then he says this. He says the church is the pillow and the gr- the pillar and the ground of the truth. And many times we've, we've 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 abdicated, and we think we need to react to everything that's going on in society. I say this, and I believe God is saying this: society is the way it is because the body is fragmented. We are the truth. So goes the truth. If the truth is not touching and agreeing and solidified, society suffers. There's example in Scripture, if you want to go to Solomon Gomorrah, if you want to go to when uh, uh, Abraham there, told, God told Abraham, he said, if they got some people of God, I will not destroy it. I won't destroy And then in Christ, I think in Second Chronicles, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and stop tripping and pray and seek my face, I'll heal the land. I believe that the the eels, men of God, and, and, and God is going to heal when we touch and agree. God is going to heal our communities when we can bring ourselves under submission and touch and agree. And I see, and, and, and lastly, I'd like to say in the book of Acts, when there is a powerful move of God, there's always a parallel between society's ills, and it gets worse and worse simultaneously, God pours out his spirit. The same time that Jesus said, we're talking about end times, he said that there would be generational, uh, great generational disturbances. He said that fathers would be against sons. He said that mothers would be against fathers. He said this is, and you look to this, and actually, that's ideologies. That's how I see it. And it becomes so powerful that all of society is, and God said, at the same time, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And he says, generational, he says. So when that happened, it was such a cultural gumbo pot, Pastor. And I want to end by saying, I thank you for your leadership. 